with Siyata Dishmaya, we're going to continue our lessons here, the Beis HaLevi, talking about Ahabat Israel. So, the last lesson, we were talking about flattery. And the, um, the I guess, the, the gravity of, of, of flattering someone, especially if we flatter someone that's wicked. All right, so let's continue now in this, in this realm here and move forward on it. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit um, so we can wrap up this, this chapter. Okay, so um, we're going to start back here about, okay, so let's go here and it says, it says here that, okay, let's start here. Behold, that whoever is by nature contentious and argumentative and quarrelsome is, 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 is naturally distanced from flattering other people. The flatterer, the flatterer is by nature distanced from discord and hatred. So in other words, like one who is constantly arguing with others will rarely offer flattery or compliments. For he's always, he always has a negative feeling towards others. But on the other hand, the one who is always complimenting others will will gain their friendship. And there's a well-known saying that it is not easy to find someone who strikes his fellow because he flatters him, notwithstanding that he himself hates the trade of flattery. Nevertheless, he will not start an argument with him because he flatters him. So although flattery is often not generated by genuine good feelings, it's merely an insincere tactic to gain popularity. And nevertheless, its recipient will never harm the flatterer. So that's true even if he knows that the flatterer is not sincere, for such is the nature of flattery. It's like many foods that are enjoyable even though they are unhealthy. So at first glance, a person might think that even though flattery is a negative character trait, Nevertheless, a minimal positive benefit is found therein, and it, that it protects him from discord and hatred, since discord is the greatest force for destruction in the world. And we're talking about the power of makloket. It's the most destructive thing is to have makloket. Um, so when a person discerns that his nature is drawn towards discord, he should train himself to be a flatterer, in order to avoid discord and hatred. It's like, which is the best of, of both evils, right? So it's to his benefit to choose the lesser evil, basically. So Because at first glance, it'll seem, it, it would seem that such flattery can have positive results, but the Beis HaLevi now is going to explain how the opposite is true. So behold, now in, in uh, Tractate and Gemara, in uh, Maseka Shabbat, it states that because of the sin of baseless hatred, strife increases in the household of a person and his wife miscarries fetuses. And we talked about this last time about the fetuses. And here the Rashi explains that there's two punishments that are meted, um, uh, measure for measure. One who has hatred towards others will bring hatred into his own home. It's going to hit home. So it's it's not something that's going to remain external. It's going to also affect the person's, uh, in essence, in his own home. So indeed, it says here that miscarriages come through hatred. And it's logical to say also that for the flatterer, at least the fetuses in the womb of their mothers are required to love them because the flattery safeguards them 
from being miscarried, miscarried. Um, since flattery seemingly prevents arguments and hatred, as we learned before, it would seem, therefore, that the fetuses who would be harmed by such hatred should love the flatterer who is preventing their premature uh, demise. As we talked, we know, which is going to be the best of the choose the best of the lesser evil, right? And so about this, our sages of blessed memory said in Maseche Sotah that one who is a flatterer, even fetuses curse him, for this is not the proper way to distance oneself from hatred. So by means of cleaving to flattery and telling an evildoer, you're righteous. And on the contrary, the essence of flattery stems from the fundamental hatred he harbors towards his fellow. He's not concerned with the betterment of his fellow, but rather rejoices in his stumbling. That's why the flatterer does not reproach him, telling him to rectify his evil deeds. What's more, he encourages him to continue with his evil ways. Because if he loved his fellow like he loved himself, then just as for himself, he would distance himself from anything that's evil because it's evil. Similarly, he would strive to distance his fellow from his evil path. And if so, to the contrary, this flatterer is further corrupting matters for the fetuses as well. And here the Beis HaLevi answers two questions that he raised on this Gemara. The fetuses hate the flatterer because... Indeed, he is harming them since he is causing more hatred and hatred causes the death of fetuses. And furthermore, there's an added element that causes even the fetuses to hate him. For although on the surface it would seem that the flatterer should be complimented for increasing love and friendship, therefore saving the fetuses from death, the truth is that because his flattery is insincere, it increases the danger to the fetuses. So it's like a double-edged sword. Manish, a double-edged sword. So therefore, the scripture states that one who tells a wicked person you are righteous, the peoples will curse him. Nations, which refers to as fetuses, will denounce him. And that's what's written in our scriptures in Yeshaya. Therefore, over their young men, he will not rejoice. And he will not be merciful, for they are all hypocritical flatterers and evil. And Hashem says here that he will not have mercy on flatterers. The Beis Halavi is not going to explain the reason for such flatter, for, for, for such punishment. So this means actually the flattery is not because he's good and out of the kindness to his fellow that he flatters him, but rather it's from the evil in his heart towards his fellow. That's the reason he flatters him saying you are righteous. It is for that reason that the punishment comes to them. Measure for measure. Midah kenegen midah withholding mercy from them just as he withheld mercy from his fellow but not by not reproaching him for his own good and also that one who flatters others rather than correcting them clearly does not have mercy on them and Hashem does not have mercy on one who doesn't have mercy on others does not so this is the continuation of the verse in scripture do not hate your brother in your heart you surely you shall surely admonish your fellow for withholding admonishment comes from hatred in the heart if you love him in your heart admonishment will follow it's going to follow because the base of also answers the first question why does the torah write that the commandment write the commandment not to hate another jew and the commandment to rebuke a sinner in the same verse the answer is that the torah is teaching us that not rebuking his friend is actually an indication of hatred. If one really truly loved a friend, he would rebuke him. He, he would say something so he wouldn't continue on his evil 
evil ways. And here the Zohar Kadosh writes that this commandment to rebuke the one who sinned is to indicate the supreme love that he loves that he loves the sinner. And this is the continuation of the verse in Mishle. One who tells a wicked person you are righteous, nations will denounce him. And those who admonish should be pleasant and a good blessing will come upon them. So you should not say that by means of admonishment, hatred increases. So on the contrary, he himself will see the great benefit that the one who admonishes him did for him. That people will think that if they rebuke their friend, this will cause the friendship to weaken. And the Beis HaLevi here teaches that not only won't the friendship weaken, but it will even grow stronger for the one who receives the, the, the rebuke will come to acknowledge his friend's real good intentions. And thus the scripture also says that there should come upon him blessings of the good. And this means from the good. So that's from the good is the one who rebuked his friend from the rebuke that his friend did for him. And also the scripture states in Mishle, one who reproves, reproves a person will later find favor. And, and the Rashi here is quoting a Midrash that compares Moshe Rabbeinu to Bilam. And although Moshe Rabbeinu chastised the Jewish people many times, they are forever grateful to him, for he did so to rectify their misguided actions. However, Bilam, who was forever hated by the Jewish people, only complimented, flattered, and validated their misdeeds. So why? So they can do more, right? So you can see the difference here. But we have to keep in mind, we have to rebuke with love. We can't just rebuke people just because. If the, you know the person and you know, you know very well and you're coming from a good place as we discussed many, you know, in, in this chapter that you have to come from a place of love. So in the beginning of the Parsha Vayetzi, the Torah relates what transpired when Yaakov Avinu departed from his hometown, Beersheba, and traveled to Haran. When he arrived, he went to the well and saw that the shepherds were all sitting together, seemingly loafing. And Yaakov Avinu rebuked them for their dishonesty and laziness. So before he began his rebuke, he said, my brothers, where are you from? And so Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky writes that he was always bothered that Yaakov Avinu called the shepherds my brothers. Why don't why, we, we don't find anywhere else in the Torah that someone calls a stranger my brother. So why then did Yaakov use this term? And Rav Yaakov offers a beautiful answer based on the Gemara. The Gemara in, 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 in Arachin states, until when is one obligated to give rebuke? And Rav says, until the man hits him. Shmuel says, until the man curses him. And Rav Yohanan says, until the man speaks to him harshly and angrily. So ask Rav Yaakov, how can it be that one is exempt from a mitzvah because he's being hit or cursed? And as long as the situation is not life-threatening, one is obligated in every mitzvah. Why is a mitzvah giving rebuke an exception? So he explains that based on the Ramban, in, 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 in discussing the mitzvah giving rebuke, the Ramban writes that one must give rebuke to his friend privately and speak in pleasant and a soft tone. He should inform him that he is rebuking him only for his benefit. And one is always obligated to give rebuke unless the sinner hits him and says that he is not listening. So Rav Yaakov derives from this Ramban that one is obligated to give rebuke only if his friend is aware that he's doing it for so for his benefit. 
So if so, once his, his friend hits him, he obviously does not deem this rebuke to be beneficial and therefore there is no mitzvah of rebuke. So based on this explains Rav Yaakov, we can understand why Yaakov called these shepherds his brothers. Rav Yaakov Avinu was about to rebuke them for not removing the stone from the mouth of the well. But how could he convince the shepherds that he was doing it you know, for their benefit? And so he was a total stranger, having never seen, even met them before. So he therefore had to first build a warm and friendly relationship with them, calling them his brothers, and only then he could fulfill the mitzvah of giving rebuke. So interestingly, the Pardes Yosef points out that when the Torah gives the commandment of rebuke, it states, you shall repeatedly admonish your friend. So the Torah specifically refers to him as your friend to teach us that although this man is a sinner, Nevertheless, when you rebuke him, do so like in a very friendly and, 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 and loving manner. So Rav Yaakov quotes the Alchich of HaKadosh, who makes a similar statement. The verse in Mishle states, Do not rebuke a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. The simple meaning of this verse is, as the, as the Gemara states in Yevamos, explains that one should not rebuke a scoffer, for it will fall on deaf ears. Rebuke a wise man who will accept it. However, the al interprets this verse differently. When you give rebuke, do not make the offender feel as if he's a scoffer and a sinner for he will only hate you. And the rebuke won't be effective. So instead, make him feel as if he's wise and a sadiq. And the rebuke will be astonishingly effective. And so Ravelia Brudni related that once he asked Rav Eliezer Menachem Shach about rebuking people. And Rav Shach told him, if you say it in the right way, you can say anything. It's not about what you say. It's about how you say it. So also, it's interesting because we have to come from a place, again, from, it should come from your heart. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out in your words. And when you really care about someone and you're really doing it for their benefit, your words are going to carry that energy. It's going to carry that love. It's going to carry that affection. And a person's going to connect to that. But if you're coming from a place of din and you're coming from a place of just rebuking just because and you really don't you don't have affectionate feelings for him. You just want to have something to say to be critical or harsh, then it will be accepted that way. And then it's not going to be received so well. And so the Zohar Kadosh, uh, quoted here by the Beis Alevi, provides a, a technique for giving effective rebuke. So the Zohar is replete with deep secrets. But here we have what can be described as a modern-day parenting techniques and as taught us by the Holy Zohar. So the Zohar says that the first level of rebuke should be done in a very subtle manner. Like begin by telling him a story that's completely unrelated to him. So while you relate the story, you should mention that someone else, not him, had committed a certain sin and described how bad it is. And through this, the person will realize without being told directly what he did wrong, and he will he will do teshuva, he'll, he'll, he'll repent. And then when you tell someone a story, he doesn't take it as Musar speech. So therefore, he listens attentively, and he learns the lesson on his own. For example, if you notice that someone is not careful with Lashonara, so instead of confronting him directly, tell him a story about the Hofetz time and how careful he was with Lashonara. And Rabbi Yehuda Ades once said that the best way to train children is to tell them stories. And so don't even conclude with what lesson did we learn from the story. You don't have to say that. You may get all sorts of responses and lose the whole point. Just tell the stories. 
And children are very smart. They'll learn the lessons on their own. And so too are people. I remember I had a guest in my house once and uh, the person was doing something that was not quite, you know, appropriate. And I said, okay, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to say this? Because what they're doing is not right. And so I have to find a way to say this. I just can't not, not say anything because the person is a Jew and I love every Jew, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love every Yid. And so how can I let the person do something? And I'm, I'm, I'm sure they don't know that what they're doing is wrong because if they knew that they were doing it and it's wrong, they wouldn't do it. So I said, let me find a way to say it without causing any embarrassment and making sure it's taken in the right way. And so what did I do? I, I gave a story. I said, do you know something? I had this one person and I, I, I was with this person, you know, in business and this person was doing such and such thing. And I looked at the person. We were having a conversation and we talked about it and we talked about the halaha behind it because I was a little bit confused about the situation myself and I wanted to get some clarity and then we started to speak about it and we both learned a lot of good things about this one act that was being done halakhically what the halah is and I found out that the halah is xyz and so I said it in such a way that the person didn't notice that I noticed what they were doing and they didn't know that maybe I was coming from that way and I don't know really if maybe they did know, did not know, but for sure I know that the person took it with a good heart and the person actually smiled and said to me, yeah, I could see that. And we even got into the conversation about the actual halacha itself and it brought a lot more clarity. So telling stories and not going straight at the person, you know, and, and God knows what would come out of it because we don't know we have to be in a good place ourselves. It's the safest way to do it. But remove the person from the situation. Just tell the story as if it happened with someone else. And the person will get it. Hopefully. And you could do that gently. And if you see that and then, then afterwards the person continues to do it, then that's a different approach. Then you speak to the person privately. You're coming from a place of love. You have to come from a place of love. And if you're not unsure, you're very unsure on how to say it, then check with the Rav. And, 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 and make sure that you're given, you know, the right uh, uh, direction on how to approach. Because the last thing you want to do, you don't want to create a situation where there's uh, makloket or, or hatred in any way. You want to make sure you're coming from a good, a good place. And you have to check yourself and make sure that that's where you're coming from. And if you're unsure about anything, first check with a Rav and get the Rav's insight on how you should use, what words you should use, and when you should say it. And just to be on the safe side. But you should say something. The fact here is that you should do something because you love your fellow Jew, and you wouldn't want that you should be doing something, and you should be sinning, and the person knows about it, and doesn't care enough about it, so that they can bring it to your attention. Because I know if someone told you something that you're doing halakhically wrong, that you would appreciate it, because you wouldn't want to have, you know, reasons of having any sins, on your on our end. On the contrary, we want the opportunity to do teshuva and to do things the right way to be pleasing in the eyes of Hashem. And also, the hope it's time traveled through the eastern, uh, traveled throughout Eastern Europe, selling a sephardim. And once he stopped at a Jewish inn for the night, and as he sat in the dining room waiting to be served, a large fellow barged in, threw himself into the seat, and made rude comments, cursed, didn't even wash before eating, and he wolfed down his meal without reciting a bracha. Neither before or after was quite a sight. And the Hofetzheim walked towards this man, and who seemed to be Jewish. So the innkeeper stopped him and, and told him not to bother because this man was a, a catechist and he had been cons conscripted into the Tsar's army as a child and, and, and had served in the army for like 25 years. 
So the innkeeper, the innkeeper told the Chofetzayim not to bother trying to change him, as many had tried before and failed. And his army's year has, has distanced him from Judaism and turned him into a, a Rufian. So the Chofetzayim was undaunted by this warning. And he sat, he sat beside the man. He introduced himself as Israel Mir. And he asked the man his name. So the Chofetzayim then asked if it was true that he had been forced into the Tsar's army and served there for 25 years. And the man said, yes, it was true. So the Chofetzayim then said that the man must be a holy individual, having been able to retain his Jewish identity after all those years, probably having been beaten countless times and pressured to convert to Christianity. And he continued that the man probably never had time to even study Torah, yet he still held on, marveling that through the worst of conditions, he was able to stay strong. And so the Hofetzheim said that he wished, he wished that he could have had this man's merit and he wished that he could have, have his portion in Olam Abba. So the catalyst, the, the catalyst then burst into tears and he kissed the hand of the Hofetzheim. The Hofetzheim continued, and you will go to Olam Abba, but you should never, never, but you never learned the Torah and you aren't keeping mitzvot. You will be embarrassed to be among all those great people. If you would improve just in a few areas, do you know how great, how great you would be? And there would be no one like you. So the Katanist turned his life around and did the tshuva. The tshuva, 100%. So that's true rebuke. This is true rebuke. Rebuke that comes out of love and concern and is non-judgmental. So there's a few people, very few people who have the ability to give the Chofetzheim kind of rebuke. But until we have that proper skill and technique to give proper rebuke, we can't we can't deem anyone a Rasha. We just can't do that. Okay, so and we have also a Gemara, and the Gemara in Masekat Sotat states that from the day that the fist of flattery became strong, the judges became corrupt and people's actions became ruined. The Gemara continues with a long list of horrific tragedies that happened to the Jewish people because of flattery. Because of flattery, guys. So what's the meaning of flattery, the fist of flattery? Rashi it seems to explain that a fist is used to punch. And so it symbolizes strength. The Ben Ishai and Esefer Ben Yoyada, however, explains differently. He says that people usually flatter others even though they are sinners because they want to get some pleasure or benefit from them. So whether it's a wealthy donor or an influential individual, no one wants to be on his bad side. So the term fist is used to, dis- to depict a fistful because a person wants a handful of benefits. And flatterers often think that they will receive something in return. And perhaps they will, but the consequences are decidedly for sure, for sure, not worth it. And also, the Beis Halavi also writes, that when someone lives his life solely for the sake of Shemaim, doing things to Shem Shemaim, it's possible to find him in seemingly conflicting character traits. And Rav Yeheskel Abramsky utilized the brisker Rav in Yeshivat's Etzchaim in Jerusalem. He related a fascinating tidbit about the brisker Rav's father, Rav Chaim. Anyone who was close to Rav Chaim was simply unable to define his personality. People often categorized others' personality as merciful, evil, generous, stingy, calm, or angry. But no one could describe Rav Chaim in a word or two. Why? Because Rav Chaim based his life entirely on the Torah. 
So every minute of his life was dictated by how the Torah states he must act at that moment. And so similarly, Rav Shmuel uh, Rozovsky, in a lecture uh, marking the first yak site of the Panavisher Rav, he said about him, at times when he was ne- when it was needed, he was hard as metal and wouldn't budge an iota. But at that very same moment, he was able to change, to be soft as a reed and be moved to tears like a small child. And this is the way it is with great with great person's strength. They are not contradictory at all. They are all complement to one another, as each trait is utilized at the right time and place in a wondrous harmony and order. And also the Benishai. Uh, in his commentary in Ben Yehoyada, it points out that the word, um, this word can be arranged in a number of ways to indicate like deep, deep, deeper meanings, like a scoop, a scoop. The flatterer desires a scoopful of benefits or a charming mouth. When you flatter someone, you think that you will find charm through your mouth, like through your speech. Or like bloated, like when you flatter someone, you try to cause him to become bloated with conceit or to cover up. So you try to cover up the person's weakness when you flatter him. And so anger dwells. Also, the Gemara in Maseka Tuta states that flattery brings anger to the world. So the letters Hey and Aleph are often interchangeable. Interchangeable there. And so the flatterer is, att- is attempting to obtain a handful of pleasure. Furthermore, he's also trying to gain charm through his mouth. So he covers up the man's sins and causes a person to become bloated with conceit. But the actual outcome is that it only causes anger to dwell on the world. And the Beis HaLavi teaches that flattery comes from an underlying hatred. If you cared about a person, you would tell him. You would tell him what he did was not proper rather than flatter him. So if if uh, this is about by the Beis Halavi, if you can remember correctly, the Ben Ishai relates the following story. A, a thief was taken to the gallows to be punished for his numerous crimes. They asked him for his final wish, and he said that he would like to see his mother. So everyone was anticipating an emotional and tear-filled goodbye. But when he saw his mother, he just shouted at her. Everyone was shocked. They all wondered why, why this was his final wish. He was on his way to the gallows and he had nothing better to do than to berate his mother. So the thief explained that it was his mother's fault that he was being executed. She didn't give him Musar after his first crime. She thought it was cute and she never said anything. And that is why he became what he became. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. So in a news report in 2022, a career criminal tried to defend his actions by saying that his mother hadn't bought him up properly, leading to his life of crime. So, of course, we can't blame everything on our mothers. And that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is when you ignore someone's weaknesses, it's not true love. Flattering others, especially children. Children can be very harmful. It's easier to just write on a report card doing great it's easier not to give feedback, but that's why the flatterer, the one who does not give Musar, is really detrimental to his friend's personal growth. And oh, we could see this, and when children grow up, the parents like, what's such a thing that we can do to say to a child that they're doing something right or to flatter him or saying something that what he's really doing is wrong. So we have to be able to give our, our, our children chenak 
and you know and and the torah even says do not do not spare the rod and we learn out that lesson as well with the david amalek and his son ali shalom so there's a lot to be learned from this that even at home with the children with our children we have to be very very clear and of course not not berate them or you know make them feel bad but doing in a loving way make them understand what they're doing and what they're doing is wrong but come from a place of love tell stories like the zohar akadosh says and so if there's a well-known gemara that states that sinachinam baseless hatred was the sin that caused the destruction of the second bektamidash and the gemara and masechet shabbat seems to say otherwise there it states that the bektamidash was destroyed because the people were not rebuking one another so how do we reconcile these two seemingly contradictory gemaras so the part is yosef there explains that these two reasons are actually one and the same and explain that rebuke can be effective only if it's administered properly out of love and care so indeed during the time of the second Bektamidash, they were rebuking one another but the rebuke was not effective because it was given out of hatred so thus the people were not rebuking one another properly because there was hatred among them which ultimately led to the destruction of the Bektamidash. and so some people also are zealots they cannot tolerate evil and they fume when they see any desecration of hashem's name they seem to be the ones who are always rebuking everyone but how do we know if they are sincere so the torah it brings down in in Bamimbar uh, relates the episode of pinchas who in act in an act of zealousness killed zimri while the latter was in the process of committing a sin so the verse says and states and he took a spear in his hand so why does the verse emphasize that he took a spear in his hand and some explain that the torah is teaching us that pinchas was not walking around waving a sword looking for a sinner to stab but when he saw something terribly wrong he hurried to a, obtain a spear and did what he had to do but for some people some people are walking around with a spear so to speak looking for people that they can attack for desecrating hashem's name and that's not sincere zealotry it's not at all it's the opposite so in a famous comment by the brisker Rav, he said that both the housewife and the cat catch mice so what's the difference what's the difference between the housewife and the and the and, and the cat the difference is that the housewife wishes there never were any mice in the house to begin with only now that there's a mouse she has to trap it but the cat wants mice to be there so that it can chase them pounce on them and devour them so the brisk Rob explained that there's are two kinds of zealots one type wishes that there were no sinners and he wishes that everyone was good and observant but occasionally when they aren't he must protest and he must become involved right and the other type of zealot is really just looking for action he just wants to just waiting to pounce on someone he wants to fulfill his zealous needs the sinner is just a convenient mouse enabling the zealot to pounce how careful we have to be in these areas of 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 giving musar and coming from the right way we have to be so so careful so we have to love Ahavas Israel. we have to have love 
for our fellow Jews and um, brothers and sisters throughout the world. And that means that we have to love them like we love ourselves. And that means also that we, if we see them doing something that's not so good, that we have to come in a way of love and try to make sure that they either through a story like said in the Zohar Kadosh or maybe using an example or something or whatever that people will get it and coming in a kind way, a way of love. Right. And then we shouldn't be flatterers of people just to flatter them because a flatterer just looking for his own benefit. He doesn't care about the other person. He doesn't care that he's sinning. He just wants to look good. And that other person's eye. And why does he want to look good? Because there's something that he wants to take. He wants to take away something from that person. So he's a taker. So he wants to come and he wants to either take attention or he wants to crown himself. The flatterer It's not an actually very good trait. It's a negative trait negative trait to flatter anyone if they're doing something evil to flatter them and we have to learn from that Hashem doesn't he doesn't dwell with flatterers so there's what to be learned there but the fact of the matter is we have to come to a place where we have to open our hearts and it is difficult for us if we're in the in, 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 if we're the type of people that we like to flatter others no matter what they're doing because we're such we have such a low self-esteem all right that we have to receive energy from other people by taking from them I just as simple as it gets okay and we don't really love that person because if we did then we wouldn't flatter them we would we would want to help them and we want to show love for them but if we're not there yet just say that there's flatterers you know listening to the shiurim and we have that 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 negative character trait then we have to stop stop and listen to these teachings and open your heart and say i know the flattery is not good and it's very difficult for me to stop help me Help me, Hashem. Help me undo my ways. Help me come on the right path and help me leave this flattery negative trait behind me. Help me to come closer to you by removing this trait from me and talk to Hashem and dive into Hashem that Hashem should help because it's, it's, it's a very negative trait to have. It's only basically the person is only looking out for himself. Doesn't care about other people. Doesn't care about anyone. He only cares about himself. And that is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will come to an end, a double-edged sword. Double-edged sword, guys. So that, we definitely don't want to go there. And when you see someone and you love them, and you have to come from a place of love and care, and if you don't love them, you could say to yourself, Hashem, this is your child. And I know they're not perfect because I'm not perfect. Because no one here is perfect. And I know that they have their process in this world because you put them here. And I know that that process is between you and him. But if I'm looking at something and I'm seeing it, and I love him because I do, because he's your child, I love him because he's your child, then help me with the right words to say. Help me say the right words and come to them with a story or talk to them and bring it up in another way, but it shouldn't be direct so they shouldn't feel offended. And if it's somebody that you know and you drive with the story, then pull them to the side privately and say, you know, I just I'm, I want to say this to you because I really, really care. And please, please, I, I hope it doesn't come out the wrong way. But, you know, and, and, and just talk to them from that point of view and always check with the Rob, check with the Rob, get Das Torah to use the right word so he can show you how and when you should say what you need to say and get that get that direction from 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 your Rav to help. Okay, because the last thing you want to do is you don't want to create makloket. Makloket is definitely not something you want to do because the flattery and the makloket and the hatred bring destruction in the world. And we already saw what that did. You know what? Just remind ourselves, which we're looking at it every day, of October 7th, of what happened in Sibchat Torah. 
Look at that. That's a result of makloket. That's a result of hatred. That's a result of flattering. That's a result of all those things. So we don't want that anymore. We want to be in Agdud. We want to love our fellow Jews all over the world, wherever they are. We don't, it doesn't matter if they're not religious or they are religious. It doesn't matter if they have a gnitic kippah, no kippah. It doesn't matter what's going on there. They're a Jew, they're a Jew. We love them. We love them. And if it's someone close to you, and if it's someone close to you, or even if someone that you happen to be in a conversation with, use the stories. Use the stories and look at the example that 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 uh, that, that was said from 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 uh, from, from the Chofet time, you know, and, and that 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 person that went into the army, you know, the the, the 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 Russian army, and how he spoke to him. Use that as an example. That wasn't flattering him. That was actually appeasing him in a way so that he could open and soften his heart to hear what was coming next. And what was coming next is you are such a sadiq and you are still Jewish. And look how much more and farther you would get if you were to take on and learn more Torah. How much more so you would surpass everyone. And he thanked him for that because he was coming from the right place. So much to learn from all of this in terms of how and when to give Musar and to stay away from flattering. Stay away from flattering. And we gave a lot of great examples here at the end of the Shior about how to do it, how to do things to bring a person close to Hashem because at the end of the day, we're just helping this person come close to their God. And we we, we, we want to do this with love, always with love. So with that being said, I'm going to wrap up the Shior. Um, Bezrat Hashem will continue Bezrat Hashem tomorrow. Amora Ahavas. Israel has brought down by the base Halevi. And so also, oh sorry, let's wrap up also by giving us a top list. One thing to do. Find someone, not find someone, because we don't want to go around hunting, hunting for people that are not doing the things that they should be doing. We're not that type of person, right? Like the cat and the, 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 the cat and mouse story with the housewife. No. We what we want to do is we want to see maybe someone in your life. Okay, that maybe maybe you're looking at and maybe they're doing something, whatever. Try with your child if you have children. You know, try with the story. Try working on it, like bringing a story up, you know, with the halacha. And just, you know, you could be creative with the story and so forth and put it out there. And just invite the other person for, for comments, you know, and or, or not comments. And see the other person for action. Don't say anything. Don't accuse the person of anything. Just put the story out there and just say it as a matter of fact. And then watch and see if certain behaviors have changed. So with that being said, we'll continue with some of these beautiful lessons of Ahavas Israel because that's what's really going to bring us Mashiach. Only way we're going to bring Mashiach, the only way we're going to get protection, the only way we're going to get miracles and wonders, the only way that we're going to have a hundred percent connection with those Baruch Hu is by having Adut and Havas Israel because we can't be connected to our Creator and attached to our Creator if we're not loving His children. So with that being said, we'll continue with these lessons tomorrow. Bezat Hashem, Baruch Adonai, Amen ve Amen.